0: afternoon everyone welcome back to what's biz live from our brand Guru studios you've tuned in for the call 10 stocks picked by you I put them to our expert panel. We do it all in one hour. Let's bring in the panel. Michael Wayne from Medallion Financial. Michael, how are you? I'm well.
2: Looking Good. forward to a big year ahead.
0: Yeah, big 2024. Uh welcome back. Happy New Year. Michael's yes. got a new baby, number one.
2: New daughter. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's great. Congratulations. She's, still going. She, she's, yeah. she's <laughs> still going. She's um, still <laughs> Sp- <laughs> going. Spoken like a true dad that's had no sleep. Yeah, you're just uh
2: <laughs> you're just not sure there for some. We work it out. It's yeah, all been yeah. fun. And we're <laughs> at a nice age. They're so small and cute.
0: Yeah. Uh, David Lane of been Bennett is with us. David, uh, uh, we we're chatting before you, overhearing Michael's uh, tales of a, a first-time father resonated with you, even though your kids are at the other end.
1: That's exactly right. Yes. Yeah. I, uh, I mentioned that, uh, yeah, we now have sleepless nights for for other reasons but um yeah they all all give us very much uh yeah joy throughout the years
0: yeah those late teenage years when they get their license and then can start drinking yep you uh worry yes. as a parent all right so Absolutely. enough of uh what's going on in our personal lives let's get focus on the financial side of it and uh this half hour um, the panel is going to be looking at DeTerra royalties, Avita, uh, Medibank, Infratil and Liontown. A good mixture of stocks there. Uh, stock of the day. So we'd um, get the panel's view on Santos after its 5.8 billion dollar Barossa pipeline gets a green light from the federal court, uh, ruling in favour of the company following a dispute with an indigenous man seeking to pause work, claiming the what 200k odd. Pipeline would interfere with traditional beliefs of nearby Tiwi Islander. It was a a major stumbling block, of course, Santos and Woodside in merger talks. Um, David Lane, uh, the go ahead for the Brosser project. Um, Santos are now going to fast track it. It's big, it's got a lot of potential for them. Um, What's it going to do to Santos's value?
1: Yeah, it's certainly a, a very positive move for them the uh the project's about 5.8 billion dollars so as you mentioned it's a it's a big project uh will obviously take a lot of time to to build but longer term it means that their production pipeline is is improved and generally santos's production pipeline is actually very positive um the company has already forecast even before the barossa gas uh announcement that their production is supposed to double to about 180, billion, uh, 180 million barrels of oil equivalent uh, by 2028. So they are looking at a an improved production cycle at a time when the oil price, you know, the outlook for oil price is slightly more positive, I suppose, based on some of the, the issues that are going on in the, the Red Sea uh, and the shipping, uh, you know potential issues that are are happening there. So short term, I think we could see a a higher oil price. Medium and longer term, I think Santos is very well positioned. uh, And we've got an accumulate recommendation on it. But our valuation is significantly higher than where they're currently trading at. Uh, The the analyst has got a valuation or fair value of $12.30 on it. So, uh, you know, in... In spite of the fact that we've got a, a, an accumulate recommendation, they're, they're certainly very positive as far as the long term outlook for the company.
0: Okay, so um, we're not going to get any more news on the Woodside merger. Eighty billion dollars worth till February. So mm. if if you're a Santos shareholder, hold on. From what you're saying, yep. would you would you buy into it now on the prospect of a merger?
1: Oh. I mean, both companies are in good position. Uh, we've actually got a buy recommendation on Woodside. So if I was leaning one way or the other, I'd probably go towards Woodside at the moment. Um, but, yeah, you know, from current valuation, I think that Santos is good value as well. So, yes, I think that would be a positive for both businesses, but there's enough reason to look at buying them irrespective of whether the merger happens or not.
0: So, so it's Woodside, like Santos share price, $7.60. Your analyst has a valuation of 12 bucks. And Woodside getting yep. it cheap.
1: Well, potentially, yeah. Uh, and, yeah, obviously there's, as you said, there's a lot of negotiation to go on between now and when a, a deal happens. And as we've seen over recent years, just because a deal's announced, it doesn't mean that it actually occurs. Um, but, yeah, Woodside... Under this deal, would probably be in a in a good position, and I think mm. ultimately the combined business would be a a great business. Mm. Michael, um, yeah. So this
2: particular decision had been not anticipated by the market, but the market was waiting for it to come out. I and does
0: and no, one, no or, one was quite sure when it gets to the federal court. And I think there's a lot of mining companies yeah. breathing a sigh of relief, saying, "Okay." But from a mining company's point of view, that's a sensible decision out of the court.
2: That's right. I mean, it was it's always sensitive, these kind of cat yep. court cases. But the judge found pretty overwhelmingly in the favour of Santos in this particular instance. And it does um, shore up regional gas supplies because this is a fairly large project. Um, it means that, you know, the free cash flow profile of Santos is enhanced. Uh, they are expected to see earnings growth over the next three years in the vicinity of 20% or so. Um, At this is a sort of at these um, oil prices today. We've held Santos for a number of years. It's done nothing. We've been kind of waiting Mm -hmm. for the story to play out for Santos and it's never really arrived. Even a couple of years back when energy companies had their amazing year, it was hard to sit back and watch all these other companies doing really well and Santos struggling. But we've held firm just because we are very much attracted by the growth profile. Santos has in place they've got obviously this Barossa project a big Alaska project as well and it's conceivable that in 10 years or so that Santos has more production than Woodside Mm. obviously it's not going to be easy to deliver that but it is possible Um, so we just see that there's a lot more value for Santos we understand obviously Woodside has this merger proposition on the table which would create a lot of synergies. But we're not over the moon with it, to be honest. We do think that.
0: Oh, so so you reckon Woodside are getting well, it cheap?
2: I, I, th- I think Woodside's getting it too cheap. And as a long, it's not suffering, but long-term Santos yeah. shareholder, I'd rather hold out and see the company develop its own assets. Well, as your Santos, that's right. Got
0: twelve-dollar value. You'd that's rather right. twelve bucks and seven sixty. That's
2: that's the thing. To be capped out today at a dollar or two dollars over the share price, even isn't really that attractive yeah. to us. Um, although you know, we we would probably take it, but it's not ideal. We obviously don't have the the voting volume to really sway that decision one way or the other. But we do like that outlook for Santos. Um, They do have a lot of assets. They have been doing a lot of buybacks. The balance Mm. sheet's in a lot better shape than it was. Um, And they're looking to pay out, I think, 40% of free cash flow as dividends, up to 50% if this Barossa project got the approval, which it has. So that's a lot of income to come through as well that they're about to spit out as they wind down their capex expenditure, which they've obviously got to do to get these projects up and running. Um, Also their debt levels are a lot lower, so their interest repayments are a lot lower. So their free cash flow Mm -hmm. profile is very attractive, which is good for dividends as well down the track. So yeah, very happy with the decision in terms of an investment case. I think it improves the business um, and we're happy to, to stay in Santos even though we don't think it's going would to shoot you, the lights out initially. Would you buy? Uh, yeah, we would buy. Um, right. That's our preferred energy exposure on the ASX. Right. Uh, we acknowledge that Woodside's a much better company at this point in time in terms of the quality of assets and the amount that it's producing, etc. It's capitalising on the markets today. However, we just see more upside with something like a Santos with a, the potential there to really drive superior share price okay, performance. That's interesting.
0: Okay, all right. Uh, Let's move on to the stocks that uh, you want us to cast an eye over. And uh, Heath, Michael, wants a view on Deterra Royalties. Now, basically, it's a company uh, full of accountants. Um, It takes the royalty payment from BHP's Mining Area C in the Pilbara Iron Ore. Uh, Also includes the North Flank mine. um, Also, royalties from two other deposits that BHP intends to uh, develop over the next few years. Um, It's it's an interesting play into the iron ore market, isn't
2: it? Yeah, I mean, it's got a lot of attention and people call it one of the best quality royalties in the world. Um, Very high quality asset, 50 year plus mine life. Effectively, they're entitled to about 1.3% of all the revenue that comes out of that particular mine. Um, The counterparty being BHP, it's pretty, safe, if, mm. as all that goes, pays a distribution or dividend yield of about 5 6% fully franked. But as you can see, the share price has been fairly range bound over the last couple of years, ever since it was spun out from Aluka. Uh, it's very difficult if from our, our standpoint to get overly excited from a growth standpoint, because really the only way that this grows is if BHP develop the mine further and expand Revenue or the oil or the iron ore price goes up,
0: right? Yeah,
2: um, so I can understand why people hunting yield would be attracted to this, but in the days now where you can get five six percent, you know, in cash term deposits or bank bonds, etc., it's less compelling from our standpoint. Um, although it's not going to you know fall through the floor unless you see a big decline in iron ore. So I'm happy to go a hold, although it's not something we would ever buy just because. We don't think it delivers the growth um, that we're looking for yeah. from our portfolios, but other investors so might have. So conservative
0: investors. That's right. Where a you're getting like a,
2: a reoccurring distribution annually right. from a mining source gives you diversification yeah. in the income portfolio.
0: David Lane, what do you think of Deterra, which would have a low cost base, wouldn't it? Just um, a few accountants and check the, the <laughs> share price every morning and go to lunch, I suppose. I'm being yeah, joking here, but.
1: <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but... yeah, effectively, you're right. It's a, it's a pure play on the, the iron ore price. Uh, and I think Michael summarised it very well, That it um, gets its cash flow from, from BHP and is reliant on BHP and, and what their production is. Um, our analysts have just done a, a a review of the commodity prices across the board. And as a result of the higher... Iron ore prices have upgraded the forecasts or recommendation or, or the, um, the the fair value on Detera by five percent to four dollars forty, but they're currently trading at four ninety three, so they're trading above mm. that uh, that fair value. So we've actually got a lightened recommendation on it, uh, and similar views to Michael. I think that if you you want exposure to iron ore, I prefer to be in one of the the producers that actually will provide not only a a good income, but also some growth potential. Uh, but obviously, with, with that comes a bit more risk. But uh, yeah, I, I can't really see a reason to be into terror. Uh, at current prices, I think that you know, we'd, we'd be lightening and, and taking some, some money off the table and, and reinvesting that elsewhere.
0: Uh, what's, your, what's your favoured iron ore producer?
1: At the moment, we're actually fairly negative on most of them. We've got a hold recommendation on BHP, uh, but a, a lighten on on both uh, Fortescue and Rio. I tend to think that the the outlook for China is is negative, uh, and that the iron ore price has probably seen its peak. So yeah, BHP is probably the preferred that we've got a hold on, uh, but would probably prefer to be in some of the more diversified commodity players. Like a South 32 uh, that isn't as as purely exposed to iron ore. Right. Okay.
0: All right. Our next stock, James, James wants to view David on Avita Medical, uh, healthcare company uh, specialising in regenerative medicine. They have the their Resell spray on skin for for uh, burn victims.
1: Yeah, it's a fascinating business. Uh, came out of. Um, WA originally, and the the technology for the spray-on skin came out of the the Bali bombings uh, many many years ago. Uh, so it's a, a a fascinating business and has got great technology. The growth that they've got over the next few years is actually fairly interesting and fairly exciting. Uh, they're mainly growing in the US, so they've got about there's about 136 severe burns units in the US, and they've got contracts in place there. So the forecasts are that they will increase their market share fairly significantly over the next few years and and move towards profitability in about financial year 2026. So it's an interesting business. Uh, They've got a lot of growth potential. The long term ramifications of getting the the spray on skin compared to skin grafts is significant for for the patients because it it not only means that it's a much less invasive um, operation it also costs a lot less and a much right. better recovery time so there's a lot of positives going for it i guess the the caveat is that this expansion that they've got in the us is actually costing them a reasonable amount of money so We've got a hold recommendation on it at the moment, based on the current valuation. But if it's any, you know, a, a company that you want exposure to and uh, you know an exciting new technology, uh, it's a very interesting one. But probably look for a bit of a weakness in the share price. Uh, our fair value on the stock's five dollars forty. Um, so there is some upside from the, the current share price, but uh, got a whole recommendation okay. at this point.
0: Michael, we we punch above our weight in this country with tech, medical technologies like yep. this, don't we? It's um, so Fiona facts. Stanley, of course, drove it out of the, the Bali bombings.
2: Yeah, it's uncanny, really, when you look at the number of high quality it, of all the businesses that have made it internationally in this country. A lot of them have been healthcare companies. Yep. So yeah, good keep up it. that <laughs> good yeah, work, yeah. basically. Yeah, no, it's
0: terrific. Um, uh, what do you think of Avita?
2: We held Avita a few years ago. We sold it you know back end of 2022 um, oh sorry back end of 2021 2022 when the markets were really starting to punish these high growth companies with a lot yep. of revenue growth but no earnings or free cash flow um, had a very torrid year and it's since recovered back to sort of where it was before the big sell off started to occur driven by what's been very good updates from the company so basically they've got a a a system if you like the recall system um, which has got FDA approval which had initially FDA approval since I think 2018 2019 to be used on severe burns the middle of last year they got FDA approval to expand out the usage of that particular um, procedure to include um, you know disabilities whereby they have thin skin oh, yeah. so it, yeah. it basically increased the number of procedures in the US from about 30,000 a year up to about 120 130 they're now looking to expand use of this procedure even again. Mm. So it's it's the, all the same sure. process effectively, but getting FDA approval for one thing and then getting FDA approval for another and another. So that's all great. That's an increasing the target market significantly. The issue is, or the the downside is which is just a necessary evil I suppose, is to increase the sales team, increase the commercialization, get out talking to doctors, so on, so that they incorporate this new procedure um, into their treatments. Um, and it takes, look, by nature, doctors can be quite conservative and it can take some time to go away from more traditional techniques. So there is a bit of risk associated with that. How much do you increase the sales team? How much do you increase the expenditure in order to, to build that narrative and to tell that story? And what sort of timeframe do you start to get those new uses coming through? So. Yeah, there is a lot of capex going to the business it's not profitable at the moment but the headline numbers like revenue and margins etc look very very good So they're
0: domiciled in the us now aren't they and yeah i have a nasdaq list i think
2: it's always been jewel yeah, oh. listed as so yeah. and that's they're pretty much a us company um, with australian origins um, yep. so at the moment i would have a hold on it um, just because it has had that big run up a lot of the good news has been embedded into the share price um, and you'll probably want to start to see the revenues continue to flow through and some pathway to you know, free cash flow positivity right. and profitability. Yep. But um, yeah, good, good quality business. We don't mind PolyNovo as well in the same space okay. um, rather than spray on skin. That's a, a mesh. And they've mesh, also yeah, got right. a very good narrative unfolding at the moment. Both companies in a similar stage. <laughs>
0: All right, good. All right, uh, let's stick with the uh, the medical side of things, but there's medical insurance. Uh, Simon wants a view, uh, Michael, on Medibank, the big private health insurer, but uh, along with the rest of them, has been yeah. sort of given approval to significantly increase premiums over the next 12 months.
2: Yeah, the premium situations ebbs and flows from one year to the next. There were yep. you know a, a number of years where private health insurance premiums were increasing considerably. The government effectively put a cap on it um, in order to ensure people were taking up private health insurance, because there was actually a big drop off per head mm. of population. And obviously there was the COVID situation, um, which also meant the government was putting pressure on these companies to avoid premium increases of a, a significant magnitude. Um, this is the problem though with Medibank, in my opinion, in it's very competitive space Growth is somewhat limited to population growth, but also affordability. Um, Private health insurance isn't cheap for an individual or a couple or a family. Um, And if you're getting a very good service in the public system, a lot of people decide to get rid of their private health insurance. the, the, the Medibank had that big issue in 2023 where they had the hacking situation. Yeah, the They've hacking. recovered significantly but, well off the back But look of at that,
0: that five-year chart. It's a five-year high, Yeah, but it doesn't move much, does it? No, and <laughs> it's very
2: difficult for them to generate significant growth yeah. um, because they can't just keep increasing premiums forever, otherwise people drop off. Yeah. Medibank is the largest. They've been around for a long time. They're not necessarily as dominant as say NIB in the, in the younger generations um, in claiming market share in that space.
0: And NIB white label to a That's lot right. of other providers, so they've got an in, That's a right. different model. Yeah. But yeah. the
2: big driver of Medibank's improved earnings has been improved investment earnings. And essentially they are like an insurance company, well they are a medical yeah. insurance company, yeah. take your premiums and invest those premiums, higher interest rates, higher bond yields, low risk asset returns have improved significantly. And that's enabled them to start getting those premiums working a lot harder for them than they were 12 months, 18 months, 24 months ago. So that's one thing, but that's more market driven um, returns rather than actual to market share gains, etc. So for mine, I'm going to go as sell, not because I think it's a horrible business that's at risk of having a a massive
1: decline, I just think you're not going to get much growth out of it. Hmm. David? Yeah, I think Michael makes some very good points. Uh, the the premium growth is about 2%, but claims per policyholder are actually up by about 2.6%. So, you know, it means that their, their growth is fairly, uh, fairly muted. Um, margins are, are holding fairly steady at about 8%. Uh, We've got a hold recommendation on it. Uh, They're currently trading a little little bit above our fair valuation of about $3.50. So, yeah, we have seen that that recent rally in the share price. It's done quite well uh, over the last few months. So I can, you know, I'm I'm almost (laughs) uh, leaning towards a a sell or a lighten as well. But, uh, you know, our recommendation is a hold. Um, I guess probably the big surprise for Medibank Private is that they've actually kept a significant number of their policyholders and they haven't seen a, mm. uh, a big um, you know, a turnaround in, in people moving away from the business after their cybersecurity uh, issues. so they've managed that well. Um, yeah it's a good business but it's yeah probably not going to grow particularly well over the next few years. Yep. Okay.
0: All right. Uh, next doc, uh, David Carl, wants a view on Infotil. It's sort of, um, it's like a listed investment company, isn't it? But in infrastructure yep. projects, based in New Zealand, most of its investments in New Zealand. It's in uh, energy renewables. Has a stake in Wellington Airport as well. Um, That's right. Interesting. Yeah. Course.
1: Effectively, as you said, it's uh, yeah, it's really a fund manager. Um, But yeah, it gives exposure to a range of of those uh, assets. It is a good way to get exposure to renewable energy assets and that's where uh, the business has been seeing some improvements as far as their valuations are concerned. They had uh, a valuation uplift recently on their their CDC investment. Uh, yeah, it does give exposure not only in New Zealand, but they've also got some investments in uh, in the U.S. and Europe and uh, throughout Asia as well. So, it's a way of getting exposure to a number of those renewable energy assets. Um, it's you know it's an interesting business. It's not necessarily cheap. Uh, yield of about two point three percent and a PE uh, of about eleven times. So, it's reasonable as far as that's concerned. We don't actually cover the stock, so we haven't got a formal recommendation on it, but it's one of those businesses that if you're looking for a portfolio exposure to renewable energy assets, it's a reasonable way to get that exposure because they're they're not necessarily assets that you can get a great deal of exposure to elsewhere.
0: Okay. Michael?
2: Um, Very good fund managers, and they've proven that over time. They don't probably get the credit that they deserve as fund managers, given how well they've pulled off some of these transactions over time as well. And they own, you know, 60% or so of Wellington airports. CDC is the the largest privately owned data center operator in Australia and New Zealand. They've got particularly big presence around Canberra. And you just look at the performance of the listed data center operator NextDC, to know that data centers Mm. have done really well, particularly if you're in there early. Um, you know, some people claim that CDC alone is worth $6 a share or $7 a share. Wow. It's currently trading at whatever it is, $9, $10 a share. So they've created a lot of value, but it is difficult always to, to try and value these businesses because they have, I think, 14 different companies. Each of those businesses have their own balance sheets and own financial performance. So it is hard to drill down into exactly what's driving that performance. But you know, they obviously have to value these things reasonably. Um, and you know, you look at the quality assets that they have. They've also got another investment in um, one New Zealand, which is one of the largest telcos in New Zealand, <laughs> a diversified um, provider offering you know everything from broadband to to five G mobile networks, etc. They in about one hundred percent of that, ninety nine point nine percent. So good quality assets, and they seem to be managing those assets well, as well as the debt around the balance sheet seems to be managed fairly well as well. But Uh, Look, it's hard to say it's a buy at the moment given how well it's run and how expensive it kind of looks. It's had a really
1: good run. Um, So
2: you're kind of paying a premium to have access to this group of fund managers, banking on the fact that they're going to be able to keep delivering the sort of asset price growth that they've been able to generate in the past. So a lot of people like to follow managers and I can understand why you would. Um, But at this point and this price, this particular company is probably a hold rather than a sell because that still hold those assets as assets seem to be performing well. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's just whether or not they can deploy the next unit of capital as well as they have in the past.
0: Okay. All right. Uh, our next um, stop, Michael, Steve wants a view on Liontown resources. I think in 2022, it was the, um, it was the most on the share market, the most successful share price Biggest share price increase of any listed stock 2022, yeah. 2021. Um, uh, lithium and tantalum projects in, uh, in Western Australia. Um, but as you can see uh, from that chart, um, things have uh, on the lithium side have been a bit wonky lately for all lithium producers. Um, as a commodity, it's mm-hmm. had a big fall in price. What do you think of Leiden town? And the lithium space you had core lithium, another darling of the lithium market, only a couple of weeks ago, putting their project on hold. It's they? very it shock for everyone
2: for these smaller uh, lithium companies that are trying to get into production or have just gone into production uh, in the current environment. Lithium prices have been decimated. Uh, lithium was all the rage going back a yeah. couple of years. Uh, Liontown has been the object of you know, a bit of a plaything for Gina Reinhart and Abomile. Abomile logged a large takeover offer and that was the big spike up in the share price in early 2023. Gina Reinhardt then increased her stake to try and ward off that takeover. Um, and then eventually after citing increasing complexities, Abomile walked away from the deal and you've seen the share price pull back to where it basically was before all of that. So there's a lot going on with these junior explorers or junior producers in the lithium space. You've got Regina Reinhart and then Chris Ellison of Mineral Res, basically by going around and buying up um, a lot of these companies Mm -hmm. or taking big stakes in a lot of these companies, um, not necessarily taking too much into account when it comes to price, but more strategically from a long-term perspective. You look at WA, there's about 13 or 14 major assets Gina Reinhardt has a stake in about nine of them. Ellison has a stake in about five of them. Some of them overlap. So you can see there's a lot playing out with long-term staking their claim in the ground, so to speak, to try and dominate the supply coming out of the states. So it's difficult because the lithium price itself has been decimated. Um, in many ways, if you want to be counter-cyclical as an investor, the time to be looking at some of these names is probably now, but it's difficult because you could you know, see another big drop. <laughs> Um, yeah. We do hold some lithium. We hold Pilbara. Um, we also hold some mineral res for clients and also in our managed fund. We still like the long-term narrative, but we are aware of these short-term cycles that have been playing out. And this is not the first time lithium has gone through these, these cycles, um, but we still think that that long-term story makes sense. And you want to be you know, exposed to some of the high quality producers that are able to withstand some of these lower prices because their costs of production are low enough.
0: Yep. Okay. So what would you do with Liontown?
2: Liontown, I would be selling. I'm okay. sticking to the quality at the moment.
0: It's interesting what you say. Prices come back. So it always, business practice, you've got to produce the thing uh, for a cost that so you can sell it to somebody else and make a profit and, That's right. and call lithium uh, shocked everyone. But the Australian newspaper had a, a really good table the other week. Core Lithium's cost of production, $1,225 US dollars a metric tonne. Um, IGO, $173 a tonne. Pilbara, between $390 and $436. Liontown, $430 a tonne. Uh, Minres, $6 to $635. Arcadium, um, Alchem, $636. So Core was almost double the production cost of anyone else. So... You know, they are obviously going to be the first to and go. lithium
2: to prices are down 70, whole, 80% or something from their yeah. peak um, at the back end of 2022. So yeah. it's very difficult to stay in the game and often it's better to conserve your lithium for when prices are yeah. rather than just oh, yeah. meeting the market for the sake of it.
0: And be a low cost, you know, yeah. focus on low cost producers. Uh, David?
1: Yeah, once again, Michael summarised it all very well. Uh, I think the, you know, the thing with Liontown is that they're forecasting their first production <coughs> of this calendar year mm. and then expanding that production and expanding their, their Kathleen Valley mine over uh, the next five years. So it is capital intensive. Uh, as part of that capital raising that they had late last year, they raised $365 million in equity. They also put together a debt deal of about seven hundred and sixty million dollars. So they've got quite a bit of debt already, and that's before they they develop the mine further for to get into that production. And so uh, all of those numbers go into the the production costs that you were talking about. Uh, so there is uh, you know a lot of uncertainty over Lion and, and and over that uh, that mine over the next few years. Um, again medium and longer term we like the, the Lithium story and we think that the the current supply will be um, below market demand for at least the next few years. Um, but we are talking globally about over 100 new projects that are due to come online over the next few years. So it's likely that by 2026, 2027 the market comes back into uh, an oversupply phase. So there's there's definitely a lot of money going into production of lithium at the moment. Uh, yeah, for a lot of those uncertainties, I think that Liontown Town, we've got a whole recommendation on it. So if you've got the stock, I'd be, be sticking with it. Um, but our preferred play in, in lithium is, is Orkham and think that it you know it's currently a producer and and it uh Mm -hmm. you know it's generating uh revenue from their their productions so we prefer to be with uh, the existing miners that are actually um filling at the moment
0: or arcadium as i called now, yes, came, came up sure. the other day on a call, and I thought, Arcadian, what the hell's that? And it was out <laughs> Kevin live, and it's the new name. Uh, so That's right. That does sound like an arcade game, does it? All right, let's recap. Uh, the first five stocks, Santos, um, a buy from both um, uh, David and Michael. Um, Odds prefers Woodside. Michael reckons um uh, Woodside would be getting Santos cheap. The uh, uh, Santos around 740 at the moment. Even the, the olds Analyst has a valuation over $12. So that merger with Woodside has yet to play out. We'll get more news apparently in February on that. So it be interesting to follow that through. Uh, Deterra, a, a sell from AUDS, a lighten from AUDS, a hold from Michael, Avita, uh, a hold from both. In that skincare, area or burns uh, repair area um, michael also likes polynovo uh, medibank and medibank sell from michael hold from david InfraTil. till um uh, odds don't really cover it, but but David says it's a, it's a reasonable way of getting into that renewable sector. Um, Michael has a hold, and Liontown sell from Michael, hold from David. Uh, here on the call, we've been following our own high-conviction fantasy funders picked by the Investment Committee. You can see the last committee meeting, that was back in early December, didn't have a January one because of the summer break, uh, but the December one is on the platform. Um, in that meeting, Resmed, Car Group, and John's Ling were added to the portfolio. Wesfarmers, RPM Global, and NMA Financial sold and took profits, and the fund is up about 18% at the moment. Um, this half hour on the call, we've got to take a look at Reliance Worldwide, Chorus Downer, um, Homeco Daily Needs, REIT, and BSP Financial. Uh, David, um, if you're a handyman and love your plumbing, you'll know all about <laughs> Reliance worldwide. Matt wants a view on that in plumbing and heating products, um, not only here, but also in North America. Big expansion into North America over recent years.
1: Yes, it has. Yeah, no, not only North America, but the UK. It's it's grown internationally. Uh, the, the main technology that they've, Produces the sharp bite, uh, so they they use a lot of the PVC piping rather than the traditional copper uh, piping and, and soldering. So, uh, as far as the plumbers are concerned, it is a, a superior product and it's easier and, and quicker for them to to install um, the effectively the behind the wall um, bathroom supplies. Um, but the thing with Reliance Worldwide is it is reliant on um, the, the home building sector, and what we've seen in the US is that home new home sales have been declining, and there's been you know, less interest in, uh, in renovating as well. So they've actually seen in their, their quarterly update late last year, uh, their sales were down, not only in, in the US, but also in Europe. So it wasn't a particularly good um, quarterly update. But surprisingly, the share price has actually done quite well since. So uh, we've seen a bit of a rally late last year. They're currently trading at 4.23. dollars 23 Our uh, valuation on the stock or target price is $3.90. So they're trading well ahead of that. Um, it's probably one that I'd be a little bit cautious going into the reporting season about. Uh, I just see that they're, they're due to announce their results on the uh, 19th of Feb. So, I'd probably, yeah, if you're a holder of it, maybe be looking at taking some profits heading into that result because it's uh, mm. it's reliant on building activity and building activity, uh, particularly in, in North America, seems to be a little bit weaker. Uh, so, current prices, as I said, officially we've got a hold, but, yeah, in some cases I'd probably be leaning towards a, a light and uh, taking some profits on it.
0: Okay. Um, and of of course, uh, building approvals here in Australia, 10 year low, which is sort of the leading yeah. indicator of building activity into the into the future, is it? Uh, Michael? Yeah,
1: that's exactly right.
0: What do you reckon uh,
2: on this? Um, it's a business that's always, or well, historically screened quality. Um, but in recent times, that's disintegrated somewhat. The founding family sold out completely a couple of years ago. They now generate 70% of their earnings in the US. Um, and that has been good for them. They look to expand into Europe as well, and they have started to get some decent traction there as well, but that started to moderate too. I suppose the share price had a bit of a recovery at the back end of last year as people got excited about interest rate cuts in the US and then potential for the housing market to pick up off the back of that. Um, That still remains to be seen whether that transpires or that plays out. Ultimately, it's all about that shark bite technology. It has done, look, the business has done a wonderful job in marketing that. It is in a lot of the home depots and all the the home hardware stores in the US, but a lot of the other companies now have replicated that technology in one way or another. So you have Reese in Australia, they've got their version um, and a lot of the other hardware producers um, also have similar products. So to my mind, I struggle to see how those margins, which have been very impressive over the years, will be maintained going forward. It's a very good quality business. I just worry that it's been potentially over earning in the past and now imitation products are steadily catching up to to eat their lunch, so to speak. So yeah, from my standpoint, I'm going to go a sell on this, even though it is a high quality business, um, just because I worry about the competition and whether it's able to protect its margins. Going forward, and again, I just think there are probably better businesses at the Go. moment.
0: All right. Um, Pete wants to know, Michael, if Chorus is one of those better businesses, New Zealand's biggest fixed line communications infrastructure company. Uh, sounds like this is a listed version of our NBN, and if Telstra had hived off its poles and wires, uh, this is sort of sort of company and mobile phone towers that this is the sort of company that it would be, but this is in New Zealand.
2: Yeah, so Chorus is one that we still hold for clients, we have in the managed yeah. fund, and we've held it for a number of years. It's quite a complicated business, I think, to understand what's sort of driving it. And for that reason, the market, it took a while for the market mm. to really appreciate it. It hasn't had the best 12 months, but it's had a good sort of three, four year period. Basically, this company in New Zealand o- owned all the copper wires. Um, right. And then they now have 80% of the broadband network. So they basically are cycling people off the old copper network onto the broadband (laughs) network. And they're effectively a monopoly um, in that space in New Zealand. The thing that was a bit confusing for so long was that there was an enormous amount of capex that was required to Uh wind people off the old copper network and build the new network. Mm. And then over time that CapEx spend decreases and the revenue numbers start to look very, very good as more and more people go onto the broadband. So as the CapEx has fallen, the dividends per share have increased by double in the space of three years. So although the the capital growth has been decent over that five year period, the growth in your dividends has been a lot more spectacular if you like.
0: Right. Um, So total returns. Total returns being very,
2: very good. Um, It does lack pricing power, it does rely somewhat on the New Zealand government to keep approving price increases for the new network. However, uh, we do think it's quite a good quality business and there's still a long way for this company to go um, in terms of finalising that complete transition phase. So we, we continue to like the business. I wouldn't necessarily have it as a buy, it's more of a hold. Uh, and we'll look to reassess at the February mm. reporting season, but it's been a decent, steady performer without being spectacular.
0: Okay. David?
1: Yeah, very similar sort of view. Uh, we've got a whole recommendation on it as well. It's actually sitting right on our fair valuation of, of $7.20. Uh, dividend yield of, of 6.4% and uh, PE ratio is about 14 times. So it's reasonably priced. And, and as Michael said, it's got good cash flow. Uh, it's likely that the, the management will continue to pay out more than 75% of their, their profits as dividends. So that dividend yield should be sustainable. Um, so yeah, if, if you've got it, I'd be holding it and, and continue to get a good income from the business. Um, and as you said, it's it's probably an equivalent to our, our Telstra uh, in some regards. We've actually got an Accumulate recommendation on Telstra, so I probably think it's it's better value. Uh, it probably has a little bit more growth potential than Corus. But uh, yeah, if you've got it in your portfolio, I'd be be sticking with it
0: okay all right uh david jeremy wants to view on uh, on downer the big uh, infrastructure and and services not only in mining but they recently started Downer defense as well
1: yeah it's uh a business that we with
0: oh you've just frozen there uh, think, uh oh there we go got your back uh, 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 we 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 might get you
1: we might
0: get you to over the years we might average. might get you to uh, dial dial back in David because you're freezing there while you're doing that Michael what's your view on okay. Downer? Yes yeah, so Downer
2: was a pretty poor quality business there for a while but they did shed a lot of their underperforming units such as their mining and engineering businesses their order book actually looks quite good these days a lot of government contracts and defence contracts thrown in there as well which makes for reliable payers. Um, it's, it's a pretty, it was a pretty they, ugly call, business. They're complex a businesses, aren't yeah. they? And it's always hard with these contract accounting kind of things as well as to revenue receive. And when the, the cash actually comes through, they took a couple of big impairments last year. Um, there's, you know, goodwill impairment as well as something else. there. It's not a business I'm that familiar with, I must admit. Uh, it doesn't get me overly excited, although I think it's in a Better position now than it was a year or two ago. Right. and um, they've done a lot of the hard work in streamlining the company, focusing on what they're they're good at and solidifying their order book with some good quality counterparties. But I'm gonna go a sell.
0: Okay. Da- David, we got you back.
1: Yes, I'm back now. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, yeah, we we actually think that down as reasonable at current levels, we've got an accumulate recommendation on it. Uh, and think that it's it's undervalued based on longer-term fundamentals. Think that the the business has the potential to to grow fairly well, uh, but yeah, it does have a lot of risks around it because it you know it has had a checkered past. This time last year it was disastrous. Uh, so the view is that at current prices, management have done the right things to improve the business from here. Uh, so if you're looking for a stock that that has the potential to provide some Reasonable growth over the next 12 to 18 months, Downer is a good one, but be aware that it does have risks, and any of those contracting businesses, uh, yeah, have have a, a fair number of risks around them. Okay,
0: all right. Uh, next on the agenda, I am on to view David on the Homeco Daily Needs Retail Investment Trust, the REIT, uh, 50 convenience-based shopping centres, five Australian states. Uh, Three biggest tenants are Woolworths, Wes Farmers and Coles. Um, Reits have been under a bit of pressure since interest rates have been rising. They bounced back a, a little on expectations. Maybe we're at the peak of the market. But what do you think of Homeco daily needs?
1: Yeah, that's right. They they have been under pressure a lot. Um, but I think the the daily needs uh, sector of the market, if you like, is a is a good one because it, um, as the name. Uh, suggest we do go there regularly. Uh, There is a a good um, tenant base from, as you mentioned, the the likes of Coles, Woolworths and West farmers. Uh, Dividend yield of 6.8% is attractive. Uh, We've got a whole recommendation on it. We've seen the share price pick up quite a bit since uh, late October, November last year. So current prices, it's it's fair value, uh, but tend to think that this This sector of the property market or, or, or REIT market is probably one of the areas that um, you know, will provide a bit more conservative long term returns still a little bit cautious on the office market uh, and that's the area that um, you know, there's, there's a lot of uncertainty around as far as valuations are concerned.
0: okay so uh, what what was the final recommendation you Got a hold, hold on, on, on it. at yeah. yeah. do, do you reckon they're going to... REITs continue to bounce back, Michael, at all? It's
2: hard yeah. to yeah. know. They, they've
0: been smashed for about 18 months, haven't they?
2: It depends, I think, on the sector of, of real estate that they're involved in. Right, um, yeah. I think, you know, cap rates have to, to my mind at least, have to continue to move higher. Right. Um, I think as well a lot of the real estate investment trusts need to be a little bit more honest about the market value of their properties. Right. Um, often in, in a lot of these markets, the liquidity sort of dries up. And for a long time there in office, for instance, there wasn't really a transaction to go mm. back and revalue your, your building on. So it is hard and then they'll just leave the market leave the book value at XYZ. But I'm still a little bit worried depending on the area. Um, we prefer specialty REITs historically, you know, in healthcare, going back to generation healthcare. Uh, there was Asia Pacific data centres and other yeah. REIT, for instance, which we've done well off in the um, past.
0: Uh, storage ones storage have has come been... up over the last sort of, uh, in December, came up on the yeah. call, Abacus and, and National Storage.
2: National Storage.
0: Uh, but they were still traded at a 30% discount Yes, um, to their NTA, like commercial REITs, and it just seemed as though everyone piled on REITs and didn't differentiate of what well, was in the portfolio.
2: Yeah, that, That's very true. But there's an example of a... I'm going to, I'll say it. Lendlease had a very large shopping centre in Cairns. They were 50% leveraged. They had it on their books at about 700, even 800 million. It recently sold for 350 million. Oh, God. And that's, I think, one top 10.
0: So that, ju- definitely that top justified 10. the discount.
2: Well, that's sort of, that justifies yeah. the discount, particularly if you have a bit of leverage involved. And all of a sudden, you don't have much equity left yeah. if you're 30, 50% leveraged. <laughs> so... There are these sorts of transactions happening. That can shopping center is top 10, might even be top 10 nationally, but definitely top 10 excluding um, cities. And right. so there's a lot of that sort of stuff playing out behind the scenes. So right. it's hard to get a bit of a gauge okay. at the moment. But looking at HomeCo daily needs in particular, um, David DePillar, former UBS banker, set up HomeCo, HMC, a few years ago. He then spun off HomeCo Daily Needs, then now there's also HomeCo Wellness um, REIT, and HMC's now the manager, the fund manager that manages those assets. So very, very smart. Um, He was actually involved to some degree in the Sigma Chemist Warehouse transaction, having built up a large stake in Sigma and himself now has merged onto the, you know, close to the AFR top 200 in the country, wealthiest people. So very good quality managers. Our preference is for HMC, the property fund manager, rather than the REITs themselves. Uh, Because they've
0: got two or three REITs. Two or three
2: REITs, I think two REITs, and then then the management company as well, HMC, which owns a stake, because they're retaining the management fees. Um, They've also been able to allocate capital into other deals such as that Sigma one, for instance. Right. HDN is a very, initially, this was sort of the core home co-business. They went and bought up a lot of the old masters sites, um, re-engineered them slightly, put in a Woolworths, Coles, Bunnings as a core anchor tenant, and then put in a lot of homewares type retailers, JB Hi-Fi, Harvey, Norman, etc., cetera, et cetera, and really utilize those spaces nicely. They've got some of the highest yield spreads in the industry, um, which means that as the leases get reviewed, The the jump is significantly higher than a lot of their peers, so there's a lot of upside in those rents. Um, The utilisation of floor space is very good, occupancy is very high. Um, So they've done a lot right. So I'm happy to have a hold on HDN. I think it's a very good quality REIT as far as REIT goes, but we're not overly keen on REITs in general at the moment and would prefer the the management management company, company, which is basically a property fund manager,
0: HMC. All right. Okay. Uh, Final stock, Billy. Michael wants a view on BSP Financial Group, which I don't think has come up on the call before. Uh, KINA has, uh, which is in in the same sector, but stands for Bank of South Pacific, uh, Banking in Papua New Guinea and uh, Fiji, Solomon Islands, Samoa, Cook Islands, Vanuatu. Um, What do you think of BSP Financial Group?
2: Look, the numbers look terrific. If you have a bank on these sorts of numbers, it's always going to draw your attention. Um, I think it's sort of five times earnings, over 10% dividend yield. Um, you know, for- Wow. Yeah, so for, for, basically for, Australian banks get about a 1% return on their assets. These guys get about 3% return on their oh. assets. Um, so they're sort of a three times the return on equity of Australian banks at a third of the valuation. But obviously, there's an immense amount of risk involved. Um, Papua New Guinea is a a very interesting place, uh, probably a beautiful country to visit. Kokoda, track and all those kind of things. But as you can see from recent events, it doesn't really take much to send the country into almost a lawless situation. So you've got to be very careful with the sovereign risk involved. They don't just get their money from Papua New Guinea. It's it's sort of the South Pacific, Mm -hmm. as the name um, suggests. Um, But it's not a bad business at all based on the fundamentals. It's obviously just got a lot higher risk profile than a lot of companies. um, And that's why it gets discounted relative to a lot of banking peers. I'm not game enough to give it a hold, I'm probably going to go sell. Um, But if you've got a stomach for these kind of things, you can generate a very good
1: return, Mm.
2: getting paid a good yield um, to justify the risk you're taking.
1: Okay. David? Yeah, probably fairly similar views. It's it's a very good business, and as Michael said, the the fundamentals stack up quite well. Um, and Bank of South Pacific has been around since 1957, and it's mm. actually got a very good name. Um, but certainly, in the very short term, I'd be very concerned about the the unrest in PNG. Uh, as far as I'm aware, they're still under a, a state of emergency, and and there's. Um, yeah, a lot of lot of unrest up there. So, definitely in the short term, I'd be steering clear. Uh, but medium and longer term, it, it's probably one that I would avoid on the basis of uh, you know the, the areas that they're involved with. But if you do have an appetite for that risk uh, and aware of the, the risks involved, um, as Michael said, it stacks up reasonably well fundamentally. Um, but I'd probably from a portfolio point of view, I'd prefer to be exposed to a number of the Australian banks, which we, we tend to do uh, um, yeah, quite well in Australia anyway.
0: Okay. All right. Let's recap the uh, the final five stocks of the call for this episode. Um, Reliance, uh, the big plumbing group, uh, take profits from, uh, from David, sell from Michael, uh, chorus a hold from both, uh, down or a sell from Michael, accumulate from odds. Um, Homeco Daily Needs, hold from both. Michael would prefer to be in the Homeco Management Company that manages the Daily Needs uh, REIT and one other Homeco REIT as well. And uh, BSP, uh, sell from Michael and a no from David. Um, David Lane from Ords, always great to have you on board from, uh, from beautiful Brisbane. Thanks very much for joining us.
1: Thank You very much, and Michael
0: Wayne from Medallion Financial. Uh, I'll let you go back to your parenting. No, you can't come to work for a break. Go don't to, you gotta to work to
2: escape. <laughs> don't tell my wife, exactly.
0: All right, mate, good to see you. Thanks. Uh, that's our show for today. Look, if you've got any stocks that you want me to put to uh, our expert panels, go to osvis.co/call pigs or tweet us on x using the at AusBizTV handle. And remember, if you've got any comments or questions about the particular stocks, we love them as well because it uh, can really focus the panel in to, to what you want to know on those particular companies. Uh, see you same time tomorrow, at midday, Australian uh, Daylight Saving Time for another edition of The Call. See you then. <laughs>